Championship wrestling from Florida is sanctioned by the National Wrestling Alliance. This seal assures you of the finest in wrestling competition. Now, here's your award-winning host, Gordon Soley. Well, thank you very much and welcome once again to Championship Wrestling from Florida. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 66, in which my very special and esteemed guest will be Gennard Soley, the son of the Dean of Wrestling Announcers, Gordon Soley. We'll get to that in just a minute couple of things I want to make mention of, and I think it's appropriate on an episode devoted to talking about someone like Gordon Soley, who was so devoted to wrestling history and taking wrestling seriously and treating it with respect. I would just like to make mention of the passing of a truly great and esteemed and celebrated wrestling historian, the godfather of pro wrestling results, Mr. Don Luce. Don Luce passed away last week at the age of 84. And I had the honor and privilege to meet him a couple of times through the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in upstate New York. It was always a pleasure talking to him. We got to talk about the background of the Sheik and how he was not the actual original Sheik. A lot of great early, early wrestling history talking to Don. He was an encyclopedia. He was a treasure trove. He was somebody who, back in the good old days of research and wrestling research, would go town to town, library to library, going through microfilm, going through newspaper collections. It's people like Don, really, who are responsible for so much of the wrestling results, especially early wrestling results, match results, show results, that we can now so easily find online that had to come from somewhere and it came from people like Don. So I want to acknowledge him. He was one of the greats starting out, of course, in Buffalo, New York, where he was born and raised and where he first came to know wrestling on television, thanks to the Pedro Martinez promotion there in upstate New York. And of course, he eventually expanded his horizons to collect results and research pro wrestling from many other territories and many other eras. And his work is irreplaceable. And I would just like to say that my thoughts and my prayers are with the friends and family of Don Luce. May he rest in peace. And may the hard work that he did be always preserved. Also like to make mention this week on sale now from Inside the Ropes is the newest issue of the magazine to which I have contributed my own pieces of chronicling pro wrestling history that I'm proud of over the years. And this is it, issue number 32. 
it has Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes on the cover, a shot from WrestleMania. And there's a couple of articles in there that I did, one of which is about the WWE sale to Endeavor. But the other one is one that I think will be of even greater interest to listeners of this show, which is my look back at what I rated as the 25 most memorable wrestling heel turns of all time. So you could check it out. You could debate whether you thought I was right or wrong. Everybody's got an opinion. What did I leave out? What did I put on there that you loved? Of course, I've got some of the most obvious ones you'd think of, like Larry Zabisco turning on Bruno, uh, Shawn Michaels turning on Marty Jannetty, Hulk Hogan joining the NWO, things like that. There's also a lot that you may not have immediately thought of. It's got a heavy focus on the 1980s. That's my own personal bias. Deal with it. I'm the one who wrote it. But I encourage you to check it out. These articles are in issue number 32 of Inside the Ropes, on sale now in digital form at insidetheropesmagazine.com. You can also order it there in print form. It does come from the United Kingdom, so it, it may take a little bit to get to you. It will make its way to American bookstores like Barnes & Noble. That usually takes a few more weeks. But if you want to order it online in print or digital form, go to insidetheropesmagazine.com. Now, without further ado, let's go to this fascinating conversation. Gennard reached out to me, and I was very flattered that he did. He wanted to talk about the George Tregos Luthez Wrestling Hall of Fame in Iowa, and I was thrilled to be able to talk about that with him. And of course, we spent a lot of time talking about his famous legendary dad and his many contributions to professional wrestling. So let me take you to my conversation with Gennard Soli right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure and my honor this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome to the show as a guest the son of a man who so many people, including myself, would consider to be the greatest pro wrestling announcer and commentator of all time. He is, I'm talking about Gordon Soley. He is a member and involved with the George Tragos and Luthez Wrestling Hall of Fame. He is on the board of that. He's also involved these days in digitizing. We're going to talk about this. A whole bunch of 70s Florida footage that belonged to his dad. He is, I have no doubt, all man and a yard wide. Uh, I'm looking at him right now, and he his face is not a crimson mask. But uh, he is the son of the great and legendary Gordon Soley. I am talking about Gennard Soley. Thank you so much for coming to the show, Gennard. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm honored. My pleasure. Like I said, um, you know, your dad. It goes without saying. I'm, you know, I'm 48 years old. I started watching wrestling in the 80s and I I was in the WWF territory but you know as soon and I did not have cable unfortunately but I was able uh thanks to to footage online and thanks to my interest in wrestling history to make the discovery of what so many so many people and generations of fans knew already which is that clearly Gordon Soley was the best to ever do it yeah I uh I have to agree with you on that. I might be a little uh, <laughs> you're you're biased, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not. You know, this is an issue that people love to debate. There's a lot of other announcers that 
people will point to a lot. Some people will say Lance Russell. Some people will say um, some people will say Gorilla Monsoon, whose whose book I'm working on right now. Uh, there's a lot of different names that people like to point to: Bob Cottle, um, Jim Ross in recent years. But <clears throat> what I love about your dad, and I'll I'll just say it right off the bat, and what I thought he brought to the sport and the business of wrestling, and that so many people copied and followed, is that he treated it seriously. He treated it with respect and dignity. He took something which a lot of people did not treat seriously and looked at as a joke and a circus, honestly, even some of the announcers. And like, if you listen to uh, early pro wrestling announcers, they kind of treated it like a joke. He was the first one, to my estimation, to really treat it and call it like a sport. And when you listen to his calls, it's like you're listening to any great sportscaster of any sport. That, to me, is his, his legacy. You're 100% correct on that. Um, and the fans are the ones that actually put him over to being considered the greatest uh, because they named him the Walter Cronkite of wrestling. The um, um, oh, not, oh, Howard Cosell of wrestling, the dean of wrestling, the voice of wrestling. Uh, and now they're calling him the goat you know, <laughs> yes. of wrestling, of the announcers. And that is one of the things he did is he took the sport. And like you said, he focused on it as a sport, not as entertainment. And when he was hired by Cowboy Luttrell back in the 50s, um, dad had been announcing on the radio. And uh, there were only two, two sports in the town in Tampa. And that was um, uh, um, highlight and wrestling. And uh, football wasn't there then. So dad used to interview the wrestlers on his radio show and Cowboy Luttrell started listening and they had him, they had tried out a few other people, um, uh, Milt Spencer, uh, Salty Saul, um, but uh, he just wasn't happy with them. So he hired my dad and dad had also been doing the ring announcing for him, making um, a good $5 a night. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so when he was doing the first show, he went up to Cowboy and he says, how do you want me to announce this? And lose, and uh, Cowboy Luttrell told him, he said, like your job depends on it. Yeah, you know, I want you to call it as a sport. Yeah. You know? and, and that's what dad did. Dad learned all about the human body before that, uh, all the different muscles in the body, what it would do when you would pull a person this way or pull their arm back this way. So that way he could describe the pain that that person was going through. Now, um, and another thing that he did was he, um, before he got into it, um, he started working at a PBS station and uh, he volunteered for free. And he learned the behind the scenes of the camera. He learned all the workings of working in television. You know, so that way it it really educated him, you know, or he educated himself on the uh, on TV. So, I mean, he was very dedicated. Anything he did, he always did that. Um, he used to announce radio when he was in the war. Um, and then he also announced stock car racing. A lot of people didn't. Right. Know. He was a big fan of stock car racing on Sundays. That's what he did. He watched stock, stock cars. Um He'd watch football games too, but main thing was, you know, stock cars. 
So he just learned that, you know, by his job was to put the wrestlers over, you know, not to put himself over, to put them over. But by putting them over, he ended up putting himself over just because of the way he treated the sport. And it is, I still consider it a sport because those guys have to learn all their moves and they take all those bumps and everything. It's it's not like football. You know, we're out there for, you know, 30 seconds or a minute playing and then you're, you're stopped for a little bit. It's constant motion going. Um, so that's really where he learned to, to, you know, become a better announcer. And he took it very seriously. When somebody would ask him in a bar, he was at the bar, he'd say, oh, this is fake and everything. Dad would always say, I can set up a match with you with Don Morocco or Jack Briscoe and let you see if it's fake. Um, and, of course, they would all sit and go, well, no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But I had a, a customer, I was selling insurance back in the days, that uh, was blind. And uh, we were talking. He said, man, I love your dad. And I said, well, I appreciate that. He says, I watch him every Saturday night. And I just kind of looked at him. I was like, well, what, do you, what do you mean you watch him every Saturday night? He said, the way your dad described a match, I knew exactly what was going on in the ring, even though I couldn't see. And to me, that was the nicest compliment anybody could give. And that that's such a, a lost art, too, now. And your dad, needless to say, was the best at it. But um, the idea of really, when you're calling a match, to, to stay focused on the match, um, you know, cause I, I still cover wrestling and I've, I've been following it and writing about it for decades now. And a lot of times the announcers now, and I don't blame them. I think they're being told to do this, but you know, they have so many other things that they're talking about or they're promoting or they're, they're, they're focusing on. And, and I understand they also have to get the angles over and, and, you know, look ahead to the matches that are coming. But what your dad and so many other greats did was they really, really focused on the ins and outs of the match that they were calling, and they talked about the strategies and the the escapes or the various different uh, things. You know, again, they called it like a sport. They didn't. Your dad wasn't just in there talking about how much um, you know Dusty Rhodes hates Kevin Sullivan or whatever, although that's part of it. He was talking about the specific details so that the viewer can really understand what these guys were actually doing in the ring. Mm -hmm. Well, like when he would talk about, you know, when, when the wrestler would be going after one guy's leg, he'd explain why the importance of that is for that wrestler to take his leg out. You know, then he only has the other guy only has one leg to work on, you know, in the ring, you know, while the other legs in pain, you know, or the arm, you know, he would to go into the detail, like you said, and just describe it, you know, um, the, as to the interviews. And I think that's a lost art today. Absolutely. Because yes. WWE does it where they just, the guys talk. Right. Um, it's like right. it when you have one person interviewing them, you know, and that's what's bringing, that's what gets the people to go to the next show. You know, they're talking about the grudge that this person has or what this person yeah. Yeah. And I think that the interviewer, again, this is lost today, but the interviewer should always add something 
to the segment. And it doesn't matter how they do it because different people had so very different styles. Like yeah. your dad, for example, the, the complete opposite of somebody like a mean Gene Okerlund, but they were both phenomenal at what they did. In Mean Gene's case, you know, he's playing off the other guy and and in almost like a like a comedy team kind of thing where he's giving them something, they're giving something back to him. Lance Russell would do the thing where he was almost like he was like the dad and the wrestlers were the children, you know, and yeah. and, and what, what Gordon did was by playing it straight, he he added so much to those segments because of the contrast. He would yeah. have somebody just screaming and yelling and and getting so into it, and your dad would just say something like "Indeed," and it and it would balance the it, yeah. it, it would. Your dad was like the barometer. It, he was like the baseline that the wrestlers could play off of the fact that he was so stoic and so severe that it made the wrestlers seem even more colorful by comparison. Yeah. Or I'd go, or after they've done their rant and rave and he'd say, well, that's yet to be seen. Right. Right. Exactly. Like he would in a way, and I, and they do not let announcers do this today, but in a way it would be like, especially with a heel, he would sort of like pop their balloon. Like they would mm -hmm. have all this bombast and ridiculousness and he would bring it back down to earth as, yeah. as the normal person, the grown up in the room, he would bring it back down. Okay. Let's, let's get back to reality here, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and, he, and yeah, go on. No, you go ahead. I was going to say with, with, with Dusty, because, you know, we're talking about his interaction with the heels, but with Dusty, you had this very unique, person which is like i always talk about how he really was one of the first if not the first baby face to really be this incredibly colorful persona most of the time back then that would be the heels and he was this larger than life super colorful incredible promo and you mentioned howard cosell it's like your dad was like the howard cosell to his muhammad ali right Oh, definitely. Uh, and he and Dusty had a good chem chemical um, uh, chemistry. I'm sorry, <laughs> chemical uh, <laughs> chemistry when they would work together. You know, whereas you look at Jack Briscoe, um, Jack was very stoic and very right to the point. Uh, but Jack was also the baby face that all the girls loved. Right. You know, he had that face. And, you know, but he as a wrestler, without a doubt, one of the best. Yeah. And of course, we're talking about now, you know, your dad to, to a lot of different fans in those days, he was known in, in different areas. Obviously, Florida was where he had the longest tenure, I think, what, something like 30 years or something like that. Yeah. But um, for a national audience, a cable audience, many people in, in most other parts of the country know him best from Georgia Championship Wrestling, where he's... Yeah. You know, that was the first show, at least on cable, to be beamed all across the country. And there's your dad. And I think it's very telling. I don't know. Was he already on there before they went national? Or was it kind of a thing where they knew they were going national on TBS? And so they wanted somebody like your dad calling it. No, he was he was there before. Okay. If, I, if I, my memory is, is correct. Uh, he was there before because um, you had Jim uh, Barnett who owned it up there and right. Jim and Eddie were very good friends. And uh, so he was already doing it. Uh, he flew up there, but and it might've been, you know, when they started to go, but I think he was there before. 
Yeah. And of course, that's not that. That's pretty. Um, that's not too far of a trek if you're in Atlanta and then you're down down in Florida. You know, that's that's fairly simple. And also, I think in later years too, he did he worked uh, for the Fullers, right? In Continental, he was doing that, which is also in that Panhandle area. Um, yep. A lot of people know him from the work that he would do later with uh, with Crockett Promotions and WCW, where he was the he was the voice of I think the first two Starcade events. He was the guy, mm-hmm. and again that speaks to his reputation because you have Crockett with this the biggest event they've ever done, and it's going to be closed circuit all over the region, and you know they want somebody who's going to lend gravitas. It was very telling. They went to somebody outside of their, you know, usual people, and they said, "We need Gordon Soley because fans know him." Yeah, yeah. Well, and also he traveled, you know, to other places and did other matches for other people. He wasn't just tied to Florida, like you said. So people got to know him a little bit more by that because he was there in their cities doing the matches. Um, so, and I think that in one aspect gives him a little bit more credibility because he's not just with one show. Right. He's being, he's being drawn to other shows to do other shows and specials. I flew, I remember one time he flew out to Las Vegas to do a women's wrestling. Uh, and he was the commentator to it. And plus he was one of the only commentators. Well, not the only, but um, when they had the boxers against the wrestlers, Muhammad against the guy, he did the show in Atlanta. Right. And, right. Because they had, all over the country when they had the simulcast from Japan, right. they had local, you know, everybody knows the one that everybody knows about is the Shea stadium one, which had Bruno and Stan Hansen. And you had Andre the giant and Chuck Wepner. But what I think a lot of people need to understand is there were shows like that happening all over the country in different markets where they would have the closed circuit from Japan and then they would have their own matches. And I'm right. trying to think of what, the the main event they had down there was it i think jack briscoe and dory funk or something like that which which they had to go along with the japanese footage i'm trying to no no it was uh it was a boxer against the wrestler oh okay i don't remember which one it was um the boxer finally became an actor you know um a a lot yeah no i i think i know the one you're talking about but um but he was, and I know he was involved in the a lot of the promotion for that in 76. It was this situation where all the promoters were kind of getting together from all over the country to try yeah. to help to push this. And I know there's a famous, um, there's, it's kind of a holy grail. It hasn't been on the network. Or I don't know where it would pop up, but where it's actually your dad and Vince McMahon calling a show together, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe that was the... Uh, the last show of of uh, WCR, of Georgia Championship Wrestling, because in, then Vince uh, pulled out, you know, of Georgia, and then, right. then it was Black Saturday. But I oh think yes, that was the show that he was uh, uh, did with Vince. You know, I wanted to talk to you about that because I'm trying to kind of get to the bottom of it. A lot of people talk about that whole infamous thing where, you know, Vince McMahon in his national expansion, he's, you know, TBS and that time slot and that national cable thing was very coveted. And he bought out the partners, the Briscoes and uh, Barnett, and, you know, they left Ole out in the cold and he took, uh, he took that Georgia time slot. And I, the way I understand it, 
um, your dad, I think he, correct me if I'm wrong, he was interested in using your dad, but your dad was not interested. Is that, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Vince asked him, you know, to come to work for him, um, and there's been stories out there. One was that my dad didn't want to wear tuxes. It's like, really? Yeah, I've heard that, and it seems like kind of a dumb reason. I don't know how much stock I put in that. I wouldn't put anything (laughs) in that stock. The reason what it was was he told Vince, he says, I go home from the dance of who I went with. Ah. He he started with NWA, and that's where he wanted to stay, because he was comfortable with it. Um, So that was the reason. He didn't want to – he never liked to betray anybody. He was working for you and he was happy. That's where he wanted to stay. I numerous times asked him, why didn't you go? Why didn't you go? And at one point later on in his life, he said, well, if he asked me again, I probably would go. <laughs> you know, But I don't know how he and Vince would have worked out, considering that if Vince tried to tell him how to do call his matches, uh, I think my dad would have you know, said, no, I want to call it the way I call it. Right. There's a few things there. It's it's interesting to me. And again, it speaks to your dad's reputation because Vince was in that mode at that time of I'm going to assemble the best roster I can. I'm going to cherry pick the best guys from every territory and bring them in and create this you know super roster. But you don't really hear about him doing that with announcers so much. But again, with your dad, it's it's sort of like it must have been him saying, well, OK, I've got all the best wrestlers I'm picking from all over the country. And and now, you know, I need to have the best announcer. You know, I, I really think that was probably the thinking behind it. I need to have the most visible, the most known, the most respected announcer now on my product. And I think that was really probably important to him. But I have to say, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it would have been the right move financially, no question about it. But yeah. I wonder, I don't know if your dad's style would have gelled with the WWF that Vince was promoting at that time. Again, we talk about your dad treating it like a sport and treating it very seriously. I don't know if that would have been possible with that type of wrestling product. Yeah, because dad was kind of disgusted when uh, Mean Gene had the pies thrown in his face. Yes. You know, That's not he, your dad's style at all, you know? No, he thought that was just totally, you know, and plus he didn't feel that, you know, he should be in the action, you know, where they would attack announcers. You know, he was always like, no, I, you know, it's like Eddie Graham told him, told the wrestlers, you don't, you don't attack the, the announcer. He's the mouthpiece. And I, I think when they do that, when they restrain themselves like that, it also helps because on the very rare occasions where something might happen, right? It, it's so much more impactful. Like people still talk about Roddy Piper's face turn when he saved your dad. I think was it Morocco? Was Morocco, it, right? Yeah. People still talk about that, but again, it's because oh my God, G- Gordon Soley, that nobody touches him. What is what is going on? And yeah. so that when it happens, it's a very big deal. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Everybody, a lot of people still talk about that. You know, and it's just amazing, you know. Um, but, yeah, I don't think his style would have would have matched with uh, WWE. Uh, WCW, yes, uh, but WWE, no. 
we all know that Vince was very controlling and kind of like micromanaging of the announcers. It's all the stories abound of, you know, Vince obviously was an announcer. He was the announcer before he was the owner and he had his style and he had his way he wanted to do it. And it seemed like if he wasn't in the broadcast table, that he was backstage in their ear, basically trying to get them to call it like he would call it, you know? And um, yeah, I don't know. Was there anything like that with your dad? Was, was there anything similar from Eddie Graham or anybody else of people kind of like producing him in that way? No, no. Dad didn't even know uh, how the match was going to turn out. Wow. Yeah. He watched it on the, the little TV on his, on his uh, table, and uh, that's exactly when he knew what was happening. Now, not knowing, was that just his preference, or did he he wanted it that way? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, he wanted to have the same reaction the people were having. And uh, so that's why he did it that way. That's interesting. Yeah, so I don't think after all those years of independence – I don't think he would have taken very well to having somebody not just talking, but most likely screaming in his ear yeah. <laughs> through the whole show. Uh, that'll, I mean, a lot of people talk about how that, that wears you out after a while of, of having to deal with that. Yeah. But he was yeah, lucky that he had autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and my dad was a very humble person too. You know, you would think that somebody that got up like that wouldn't be as humble, but he was. He was just very, you know, fans. He loved his fans. Uh, I even asked him one time. I pulled into a 7-Eleven. He was in the car with me. And when I came out, people were all around the car and everything. And uh, when I got in, we were driving away. I said, do you ever get tired of that? He says, no. He says, the fans are the ones that pay my salary. So I have time for them. Yeah, where so many wrestlers today want to charge a $25 for a signature. Right. It's like, come on. And and that's really, unfortunately, become an issue across the board in all kinds of entertainment and sports. Um, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, my grandfather taking me to baseball card shows and and just grumbling because even back then, this is maybe like, God, 35, 40 years ago. And that's when they were kind of starting to charge these nominal fees because I think they were realizing, well, people are selling these. So I want to get a piece of it. And I remember my grandfather who had grown up with Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle being disgusted and saying those guys who were bigger stars than anybody in this room, those guys would never charge for an autograph. They, they, again, like you said, they were humbled and they were honored even that somebody wanted their autograph. It was, it was Mm -hmm. like an honor, you know, and then, and that's changed, but, but, uh, you know, that kind of humility. Yeah. It's, um, and, but you, you find it, you still find it in a lot of the wrestlers. They, they have it. Yeah. Look, you look at Jerry Briscoe. I mean, somebody, somebody kept trying to get him to write a book and, uh, they were, he was like, no, don't want to write a book. He says, I'm, I'm fine with where I'm at, you know, where I'm at in life. Uh, and I, I appreciate that. You know, he does go on the podcast, talks, his, does his stories and everything. Um, and he's just a class act. You know, you talk with Bob Roop, another class act. Oh, great, great guy. Uh, Harley Race. You know, I I have a lot of admiring. I admire Harley a lot, you know, for what he was and who he was. 
um, just a super nice guy. Uh, so, but then you see people today, um, like the Hardy brothers, <laughs> it's like, really, you, here you got this opportunity to be such a great star and then your social life, you just destroy yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's unfortunate, you know, but I mean, in some ways there have always been, maybe there's more now, I don't know, but there have always been these wrestlers that seemed to be so self-destructive even some that were extremely talented uh, and, and people like Ray Stevens or Johnny Valentine or, you know, people that, or Dr. Jerry Graham that had immense talent, but again, were just, uh, they couldn't, I don't know. I sometimes say that there are certain people that could never exist in any other walk of life, but wrestling because yeah. it, it allows you to just be whatever eccentric self you want to be. Uh, but but I think sometimes it attracts some of those kind of re more reckless or self-destructive people. Um, but but like I, I think, yeah, I, I sometimes wonder if it was worse then or worse now because they have so much more of a microscope on them now. The difference back then is yeah. a lot of times the wrestling world was so closed off that people could get away with things without a lot of scrutiny. And, and I think now every little move they make is on social media. There's certain, all, all the classic stories you hear about the most outrageous things wrestlers have done. You have to go, well, I don't know if anybody could get away with doing that today. Well, uh, dirty Dick Slater was one. He was, there's another one. Yeah. He destroyed himself. Uh, and that's a shame because Dick really was a nice guy. Um, but it just, the fame got to him. Yeah. You know? And, uh, but to, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different world today. You know, they do like in back in, in the, those days in Florida, Eddie always told the guys, you can't live in the same apartment complex if you're a healer or baby face. You know, um, and that was just the way he wanted it. Now, after the matches on Tuesday night, everybody went to the Imperial room, baby faces sat on one side, the heels are on the other side, but they all party, but they just didn't mingle with each other. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and it was a great atmosphere for the bar because they were getting their place filled that night. Sure. Um, did your dad fraternize a lot with wrestlers or did he keep himself separate? He, um, Don Curtis was a good friend of his. Uh, Jack Briscoe was a good friend of his. Harley Race was a good friend. So he fraternized with them. Um, a lot of it, but most of it was always on the phone at dinner time. You know, it was like Smokey and I, as my stepmother, we call her Smokey. She would, she and I'd be eating. Dad would be eating while he's talking on the phone. You know, every single night. <laughs> oh, that's no good. That that <laughs> that that yeah. Uh, yeah. Were there uh, wrestlers coming by the house a lot when you were a kid, or making social calls, that kind of thing? No, because my parents got divorced when I was in second grade. I didn't get to know my dad again until I graduated from high school. I or see. The, okay. The, the, well, actually, the Christmas before that. I only saw him once in between all that. Um, and I was kind of frustrated with that. And I asked him one time, you know, why, you know, he didn't get together with me beforehand. And he said, well, you're being raised by your stepfather, and I didn't want to step in and say, no, you should do it this way or this way. He said, I didn't feel that would be right to you. And right. I, I have to agree with that, but he was also, that was his nature. 
you know, his grandmother, I mean, his mother, they hardly talked. You know, it was very rarely he would he would pick up the phone to call her. Um, but that was just his nature. I mean, and plus he was busy all the time. He was, you know, announcing the stock car racing and uh, working the uh, Florida State Fair, uh, doing the PBS uh, auctions. Um, so, but yeah, I didn't, I, I, I questioned him about it when I came down, you know, on different things and I didn't call him dad right away. Mm. I called him Gordon, you know, for about six months. I, I told him, I said, you know, I was raised by my stepfather. I said, so I got to get to know you first. How old yeah. were you when you, when you were getting to know him? Uh, I was, uh, 18 years old. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, I'm. I'm I'm divorced. I have I have kids from my previous marriage, and I I don't know if I could do something like that. I guess your dad was built different. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I I just feel like it's so important to be involved, even if they have step parents, and it's important yeah. to be involved in your kids' life and upbringing. I don't mean to be critical of your dad. I oh. never I never met the man, and and he is, yeah. and and he he was a legend, but. I, I don't know if I would have done it that way, you know? Well, I asked him one time, I said, why haven't, why didn't you send me a Christmas card or Christmas gift? You know? And he says, well, you didn't send me one. I said, really? I was a kid. <laughs> you know? oh I said, That's the worst excuse I ever heard. My dad just looked at me like, Oh, <laughs> I've been called out. Yeah. Son. Um, but yeah, I think it was different back then. Uh, Parents, when they got divorced, I mean, my mom trash talked my dad all the time, you know. Um, but when I came down, you know, I got to know him and I said, hey, this is what mom said you're like and this and this and this. And, you know, I said, so you're just going to, you know, I'm not going to listen to what she said. Just you're going to prove yourself to me of who you are. Where were you living before that? Uh, up in Illinois. Oh, OK. OK. So nowhere near then. No, no. No, you know, but, it's funny, you, you hear, like, I know there was a similar type of actual situation with Vince and his dad. I mean, the, a lot of people know that story, that he didn't really get to know his dad till he was a teenager. Parents divorced when he was very young, and he just had nothing to do with him. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it was more common then. I don't know. It just it seems unthinkable to me as a yeah. parent doing something like that for their for their sake and also for my own sake of just you know mm -hmm. going around my daily life knowing I have, I have a kid somewhere else that I'm not you know involved with and that's too bad I'm sorry to, I I really was not aware of that uh I I managed through it because you know what I had a great step stepfather you know I learned a lot from him um and when I met my stepmother I had a great stepmother you know, I, I learned so much from her because a lot of times dad be out of town, you know, so I'd have dinner with her uh, on there was a Friday the 13th. We went to the cats to see cats on a Friday the 13th because dad was out of town. So she had an extra ticket. She called me up and I went. And um, then but the weird thing was we were in seat 12 and 13. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> so it was really strange, but I I think I, I benefited because I learned different traits from each of them, you know, and benefited me. And uh, my dad and my stepdad actually became friends. Yeah, you know? that's great. My mom and my stepmother became friends, you know, because I kind of brought them together when I got married. 
Oh yeah. Yep. That'll do it. That'll do it. Now, did you have an awareness before that, that your dad was what he did for a living, that he was kind of a public figure? You didn't even know. Didn't even know. I knew he did wrestling, but I didn't really know that wrestling was that big. Yeah. Never watched uh, wrestling when I was growing up. Uh, It was more cartoons and, you know, funny shows. So what was your reaction then? How did you, like when you first discovered like, oh, my dad, my, my dad is, is kind of a celebrity, especially within the world of, of wrestling. I mean, with no question. Um, when I came down uh, for my senior, uh, my senior year in high school um, for Christmas and dad, uh, we went to, he owned a gas station that time. And so we went to a, um, uh, restaurant downtown and it was just amazing all the people hey gordon hey gordon people coming up hey can i get your autograph yeah and then we went to the restaurant and all these people were coming around and i was just like that's when i realized you know and uh i also kind of realized at that time that i'm going to get to know him but i'm also going to have to share him with all these other strange people that i don't know right <laughs> you know? right and uh so uh I was, I was in shock, you know, uh, because never had that, never had I dreamed of something like that. You know, we had kids in our high school, you know, their dads own this store that, that, you know, you're, oh yeah, great. We love your store, but never did I know that on my dad. And, uh, so, and I met a lot of really cool people, but then I also realized there were a lot of people out there that just, you know, worked him or tried to work him. Oh, sure. Sure. I'm sure that happened all the time. You know, I wanted to mention from my own perspective as a fan, my first awareness of your dad, because again, I was I was fairly young, was when he was with WCW at the end of his career. And I remember at the time, because when I was getting an awareness of who he was and what he'd done and how important he was, and I'm, you know, watching old stuff. I was dis I was disappointed, and I don't know if is this is how he wanted it or if he was also disappointed that they didn't put him front and center enough. They had him doing interviews, they had him doing the hotline, or he would do kind of like the C show on a Sunday morning or whatever it was. And why was it that was it his age? What was the issue of why they didn't put him in a more front and center position? I don't know on that one. I can only speculate, you know, um, because you had all these other guys. You had um, Jim Ross there. And and actually, I got to thank Jim Ross um, because when dad got let go from CWF, which was really the wrong way to do it to him. Mm. Uh, and I'll, let, I'll say this about that. What happened there first when when. Um, they were trying to take over CWF, uh, the Carolina group. Right. Um, and there was all this, oh, we're going to buy this, 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 you know, it was all a bunch of, I thought, thought a little bit of hot air, you know, it was just how do we take it over and shut them down. And uh, two of the original owners of CWF went into dad and uh, they told him they were going to start doing two taping, two shows on, on Wednesdays or Tuesdays. And um, then that um, they're only going to pay him for one. Yeah. And uh, so they wanted him to do one for free. Yeah. 
So they're basically trying to get him to quit, essentially. And that's what he did. And then they put Steve Kern and Mike Graham there to be the announcers. And they were in the uh, Hawaiian type um, bamboo chairs, not a desk or anything. They're talking, you know, doing the matches. It was horrible. Yeah. So the ratings just went right down the tubes and they brought Humperdinker in to do one. And uh, it was just horrible. And uh, so that's how he kind of left. And he was at home for a while. And then all of a sudden there was a, well, let's bring back, let's try to get the Florida championship wrestling going. And, uh, you know, that was underfunded um, and not well thought out. And um, dad didn't get a paycheck, but the other guys did. Ah, Of course. (laughs) And um, so one day he got a call from Jim Ross and uh, because Jim knew that dad was down there not doing anything. And he called him and asked him, you know, to come up there and go to work uh, because he said he felt that that was such a talented voice that he needed to, you know, be back on the air. So I take my hat off to Jim Ross. Um, he, he is a true good guy. Um, but I think with and I believe that. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, Eric Bischoff. Uh, wasn't real thrilled to have my dad. And uh, so I think it was, that was what they gave him. But my dad was happy with it. You know, he was still on the air, able to announce, even though he was doing that. I think he would have liked to have gotten back and doing the live shows, but he'd also gotten kind of tired of traveling. Right. Yeah. And I think he didn't really want to go traveling to another city to do a show and then come back. You know, I mean, I did the announcing. I was a co-host of one of his shows on the Florida, and uh, I lasted six weeks, and then I quit uh, because I realized it wasn't for me. You know, um, so I just said, you know, I backed out. Yeah. Is it true that your dad walked away from WCW over the issue with Angelo Poffo going into the Hall of Fame? That's what I've heard that, that he was, I don't know if it was sort of like a last straw situation or whatever, that he took offense to the idea that Randy Savage was kind of, you know, politicking and, and, and doing this kind of thing. And then they, you know, dusty and had him, your dad inducted as a surprise, almost as a way to kind of make it up to him, even though he knew he was leaving. Yeah. he had actually quit before that. I see. And uh, the people from um, um, CNN or CNN, people from the wrestling, right. uh, they called him and said, look, please don't quit right now. Um, and they told him that we're going to be inducting you in the Hall of Fame. You know, so it wasn't a surprise to him. He knew, uh, but they didn't want him to quit that way. Uh, it it could have been because of, uh, you know, Angela Poffoff and also could have been because of Eric Bischoff. Right. You know, he had an uh, argument one time with Eric on he was calling a match and he called it, you know, Australian tag team match. Well, what did tag team matches start from Australia? That's why they always called it. And Bischoff said, no, 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 no. It's just called tag team matches. Yeah, that's it. Well, it, you know, he explained. And so he went back on the air and he said, Australian tag team match. You know, <laughs> he was like, that's how I do it. Yeah, and he also complained one time. He said that Eric took off one time because he had a uh, had a molar or something taken out, and uh, he didn't feel well to come in. Dad was like, 
I came in even when I had my hip replaced. Ah. Yeah, and he did. He flew up to Atlanta. He did the show. He went and had the operation. Then he came back the next day and did a show. Or it was two days later. No, it was the next day. Came back and did another show and then went back to the hospital. You know, I mean, that was him. You know, he didn't take a vacation. You know, I mean, he got the thing with uh, um, with Eastern Airlines back in the days where you could fly and you could fly to a different city. And it was all a certain price. So that's how he took a vacation was he'd go to another city. Then he'd fly back to Tampa for the show on Tuesday. Then he'd fly back out, you know, took smoke, you know, for a trip. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, he was very dedicated to always trying to be there for the show. Right, right. Well, that's the work ethic, you know, that that a lot of those guys have. And also, yeah. your dad was lucky in a way to to be working in a territory. I mean, Florida was one of those places where, like, like Hawaii, you know, with the weather and all that, everybody wanted to do a stint down there mm-hmm. because you could hang out on the beach. You could, especially from the wrestler's point of view, you know, it was – you didn't have to deal with bitterly cold. You know, it wasn't like the AWA or or even the WWF in those days where you couldn't make a, a date because your car got snowed in. You know, <laughs> things like that were not happening in yeah. the CWF. So that also had to be an yeah. incentive to stick around. Well, when Eddie bought or when Eddie came down to Florida, he kind of knew he was going to buy in. Okay, uh, he had a master plan, and the reason why he wanted Florida was because it was virtually untouchable by any other territories. On the east, you had water. On the west, you had water. Down south, you had water. The only thing you had was the north, and he was good friends with Barnett. So he knew they would not come into his territory. Now, granted, Alabama came a little bit up in the part of Florida, panhandles. Um, but he was uh, – that's why he got Florida, because he knew you know, it wouldn't be touched by anybody else. Yeah, right. That's so smart, and and because geographically, it it's it was one of the smaller territories. It really, you know, it wasn't multi-state, and like you said, it wasn't even a hundred percent even that one state. He had his area, he had his towns, his cities. It was a true fiefdom. Um, yeah. He he took some great military strategy there, and the fact that. You can't be invaded when you're you have water on three sides. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, um, but uh, if mind if we could we switch talk a little about the uh, Hall of Fame? Yeah, sure. Are you are you talking about Cauliflower Alley? No, uh, the uh, George uh, Targus. Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about that. The the George Tragos Luthes. Uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Iowa and your involvement with that. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Yeah, it's going to be this year, uh, July 20th through the 22nd. That's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, I don't know all the people yet that have been, uh, that have agreed to induct it. Maybe uh, before it comes, I can come back on your show and we can talk more about my dad and everything. But um, we do a great Hall of Fame. Um, I went up to Jerry... Uh, the first year I was there, and uh, I looked around. And I said, Jerry, there's no an award for my dad. How come he's not in here? And uh, I told Jerry, I said, you know, the nice thing about wrestling is, I said, you got the announcers who, if it wasn't for the announcers, wrestling could be boring. The announcers bring the action to the people. They tell you what's going to happen. They keep you on the edge of your seat, you know, so you're not going out and getting a beer. 
know, you're going to stay to see what's going to happen next. And I said, uh, so you should have an announcer's award. You know, and I said, it should be called the Gordon Soli Award. You know, I'm uh, I'm not I'm not as humble as my dad. <laughs> you know? um, but somebody's got to speak up for it. And uh, so Jerry thought about it. He had a meeting with the board and they agreed to do it. So um, I got the first award that, you know, of doing it. And then we gave last year, we inducted um, Jim Ross as the first person to receive the award. Um, we're a small, a very intimate group there. We're in the Dan Gables Museum. We share it. We have a small section in it. Um, so we're doing the money we raise goes to the museum because it's basically college, you know, except for the portion for us was pro. Um, on Thursday, we have a meet and greet. And then Thursday night, we all go over to the hotel and everything's within walking distance. It's like the hotel is, is right across the street from the convention center and the museum is two blocks down. So everybody can walk there and have to drive around. The nice thing versus like the CAC is you've got so much going on outside. People tend to maybe go out and do other things. We're here. Everybody's kind of trapped. Okay, <laughs> That's true. with Because I've been with to CAC and, you know, you're in the middle of Vegas and, you know, there's a lot pulling you away from yeah. CAC for sure when you're there. So we um, then on th Thursday night, we have a trivia night. And uh, at the bar at the uh, hotel and uh, we have trivia questions and people get it in groups and, you know, and they win. And then on uh, Friday, uh, we have um, a roundtable discussion, which I do. Uh, and we have other activities, you know, for people to do. And the nice thing is that if a wrestler's there, they're not up in their room, they're downstairs. So they're mingling with everybody. So everybody really gets to talk with them and mingle with them, um, which is really nice. And then Saturday, um, no, then Friday night we have the matches. And then after Friday night's matches, we then go over to the pizza joint. And everybody, we have a room that's there for everybody, or we can, or we literally take over the whole place. You know, and um, then on um, Sunday night, I mean, Saturday night is the, is the buffet, I mean, not the buffet, but the dinner and uh, the awards. You know, so what I do is on the, uh, with the promotions is on Thursday, I uh, give away four plaques for, and I do the, you know, we had Trish Stratus last year. Right. And uh, classy lady. And um, so we had pictures of people on metal and uh, we raffled them off. You know, and so I give out four that night. And then I gave out four uh, at the matches. And this year I had, last year I had one of Jack Briscoe, but it was in a tumbler, steel tumbler. You're not going to find these anywhere else. You know, so, I mean, if you were to try to find them, they would probably cost you $40, $50. Sure. You know? um, and then, um, so we give out four things on the matches. And then at the dinner, we give out the uh, people that are being inducted. Uh, we have those, their pictures. And then we have, you know, we draw out um, and then people get them to sign it with a magic marker. And, you know, you, and I'm sure you've seen other metal works, you know, pictures on metal and they just really are classy looking. Yeah. Uh, 
So yeah. it was something to give back to the fans. It's instead because you know when the fans comes in the Hall of Fame or something, they're kind of expected to pay out. <laughs> you know, we're going to buy this, buy this, buy this. You know, and I said, look, let's give them something. You know. And yeah, grand, they're getting a raffle. And I mean, I have a lot of raffle tickets. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun and the people really enjoyed it. I mean, the one guy that, uh, at the matches, I said, well, you're going to, there's a tumbler and there's three pictures. He said, no, 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 I just want the tumbler. And everybody was like, oh, I want the tumbler. <laughs> you know? Uh, so this year I'm gonna have a couple extra Jack Briscoe ones, but it's like this year I'm even going bigger. Um, and I, and there's one surprise that, Nobody's going to know about until the night of the dinner. Um, and it's going to be the fans are going to be really love this one. Um, and then the next year, I plan to go even a little bit bigger, you know, because it really doesn't cost us a lot, but it's giving back to them. And that's what I like because I like seeing their reactions, you know, when they get them. And right. I mean, I had, I had one of Jim Ross that was like this big by this big. You know, because that's the only picture I could find of him. You know, so um, and I was like, "Boy, I hope somebody really likes Jim Ross." You know? <laughs> uh, but the guy does. The guy was like, "I want the Jim Ross one." So, you know, it's it's a nice event. And plus, like I said, we're all there. We all get to mingle, and everybody has a good time. Um, so definitely, if you're gonna go to a Hall of Fame, definitely check that out. It's a Waterloo. Um, just get a flight to either Waterloo or you get a flight to Cedar Rapids or drive. You know, that's great. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Go on. No, go ahead. I was going to say, that's the only one that I have never really gotten to experience. You know, I worked for WWE for years. I I've been a part of their hall of fame and putting things together for, with them. Um, the, the new one in, in New York, in Albany, the, the IPW HF I'm involved with them. I've been working with them from the beginning the old one that went down to Texas that used to be in New York. I knew them well. I used to visit there. And of course, even the the CAC, you know, I'm a, I'm a member. This is the one. And people always tell me to come. I, I, I've, I've gotten invitations to come out to Iowa and check it out. I've just never been able to do it. And it's, it's on my to-do list for sure to check it out and to come out and be a, and, you know, be a part of it. Oh, you should, because we even do a podcast day. Yeah, oh, that'd be great in there. So uh, it would definitely be worth your while to come. And, you know, I also recently spoke with Mike Chapman, who was one of the, the founders of it. He's not involved with it anymore, but he had been one of the people when with Lou when when Lou was alive in, in mm-hmm. getting the getting it off the ground. And so even just from talking to him and what I know about it, I think it's very appropriate and fitting that they would that they would be the Hall of Fame that would have the award for your dad because they also have the that reputation from when they started as being the Hall of Fame, the wrestling Hall of Fame that's the most kind of sports oriented. Like they're they're affiliated, like you said, with the Dan Gable, you know, amateur yeah. wrestling museum. It's the one that the Hall of Fame that stresses most the the athletic backgrounds of the wrestlers and things. So I think if your dad were here and he had to pick one to be affiliated with, I think that's the one he would have picked. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I was just really happy when Jerry said yes to me, but I had to keep it a secret for two years. Yeah. You know, when he told me and I, and that's the one thing if somebody tells me something private, it's private. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Until they say, you can say it now on it. Right. But as the CAC's concern is um, my dad's never been inducted. 
in the CAC. They've did only he, did he used to go at all? Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but he he used to go when they were always having it out in um, uh, San Francisco. Right. Now um, they honored him, but they honored him with a group of other people from Florida. They honored a Florida group, and they honored him in it, but. You know, they're missing the point of not inducting him. Do you know yeah. why? Is there a reason? Uh, I don't like to trash talk people, but Brian Blair. I've been trying to get hold of Brian to talk to him about it, but uh, he seems to just ignore me on it. Now, that's interesting to me because obviously we all know Brian spent a lot of time down there. I mean, wrestling in Florida, and he had to know your dad quite well. I mean, it yeah. almost... It, was it was there a grudge? Did they not like each other? Oh no, they they liked each other. You know, um, Brian doesn't like me. You know, <laughs> and I think that might be it. Well, I'm sorry um, to hear that. Well, that's his problem, not mine. Um, <laughs> but I, um, so they've only they've only inducted two announcers: Les Lance Russell and uh, I think it's Bill Mercer. You know, I think that's his last name. Uh, but even in the um, managers, they've only inducted two or one or two managers. You know, and to me, it's like you got your wrestlers, you got your managers, you got your uh, referees, and you got they, your. They do have a referees award now. Yeah, char- with char- uh, Charles Smith. Right. You know, um, and I'm nothing against the referees, but I don't know if they ever brought seat, you know, filled seats up. Right. My dad did, you know, by getting the fans so interested. So, and I think if anything, you want to name it after somebody that's made an impact in the sport, you know, and I think my dad's made enough of an impact in the sport that they should name an award, you know, the Gordon Soli Award of Broadcasting Excellence. Sure. And I mean, if you're going to induct an announcer, I mean, uh, Lance Russell and, and Bill Mercer are, two of the all-time greats for sure and and they should be up there and they should get it but you you would think your dad would and should be in that group i mean for goodness sake if you're going to announce you know induct any announcers so i hope that that changes i hope that that happens i mean that would that's like a no-brainer to me you know yeah well i've been uh on a campaign getting people to email uh brian blair because he's the one that accepts the nominees and he's the one that makes the decisions, you know, and, um, you know, and also I've been uh, asking people to email the, um, the club itself, uh, asking to make Gordon Soley uh, a recipient of the award and to name it after him. Um, mm. I think if they just said, hey, we're going to give Gordon Soley the announcer award, I think that would be a disrespectful. You've got to name it after him. Well, if if you were going to have an announcer award that was to be named after any announcer, again, he's the one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no. I mean, look, people might not agree with with either one of us, but I, I will stand firm on that. That's the name that should be attached to any award for a wrestling announcer for sure. Um, well, even even Jim Ross agreed with me. Right. That's what I mean. I was going to say uh, that Jr. would be one of the first people to say. No question. In fact, I think even if they came to him and said, hey, we want to call this the Jim Ross Award, I could imagine him saying, you really should call that the Gordon Soley Award. You know. Yeah. So if people, if they're listening, they got their pens and paper, mm-hmm. if they can just write or email Brian Blair 
at brianblair.com and say, you need to, to do an award for Gordon Soley as, you know, announcer. And then also the other one is called the Cauliflower Club 1965 at gmail.com. You can also get these uh, email addresses off their uh, website. You know, uh, you can go to the awards and then uh, go to uh, how do you get hold of them? They're in two different places. But Brian Blair at brianblair.com is an easy one to remember. But uh, I just uh, and I mean, I'm sure I will see him in Waterloo because I've emailed him. I texted him. I've, I've phoned him. And he like I said, he, is, he won't return my calls. Um, I used to go to the Legends Lunch all the time. Um, wasn't real thrilled with it because the Legends Lunch was was actually formed by Brian, my dad, uh, Buddy Colt, Jack Briscoe, and Hiro Matsuda. And they started started these lunches in the early '90s. Well, Brian then formed it in the in the 2002 or 2001. Well, my dad was had died in 2001. You know, and he said he was a co-founder of it. He wasn't a co-founder. That's where it started from because I used to meet because I went there a couple times because my dad said, yeah, we're having our legends lunch. We all sit around and talk about the old times. You know, so it's it was sad when I saw that. Um, and it's not really a legends lunch because to me, a legends lunch is, you know, like have Jerry and uh, Bugsy McGraw and the guys sit up there and talk about different wrestlers, you know, talk about ravishing Rick rude because he was a Florida guy and legends lunch is supposed to be the legends of CWF. Sure. But what they're doing now is they're just putting anybody in there. You know, guys that were in independent leagues that never wrestled in CWF and Brian wants to hang hang it in the Sorry. Could that also be though? Because I mean, now we're so far removed from that. Is it an issue of how many guys are left? Sadly, well, it's. I don't think it's. Yes, that's that's true. But if you guys had Jerry come up and talk about ravishing Rick Rude, what he was like when he got going, you know, right, or right, uh, right. Bobby Shane, yeah, I mean, ravishing Rick Rude got his name from Eddie Graham before it was Rick Rude. Did not know that. I thought that was a Vince thing. I thought Vince put the ravishing on it. No, that came from Eddie Graham. Huh. Um, So, I mean, there's, there's things that, you know, that's the people you want to talk about. You know, this guy that used to wrestle in a flea market. Okay. You know, (laughs) uh, but let's talk about the people that meant something Hmm. to everybody. And that's why I I don't even go to the, I, I quit going to that too. Yeah, I just felt like, you know, I don't know these people. They even put me in it. You know. <laughs> okay, I'll take the award. Here <laughs> I'll hang it up. You know. Um, so I mean, I just, you know, I have different views. Okay. Well, you know, uh you mentioned Eddie Graham again and and the actually the last thing I wanted to get to here, and I want to make sure I made time for this because we talked a little bit about this before we even started recording, because you had mentioned you were working on it. I'm mentioning it because I know that a lot of people that will listen to this will be excited about this happening. And I'm talking about the digitization that you're doing, that you're, I guess, in the process of doing with 70s Florida footage that your dad had 
that will be made available to fans. And I say it's exciting because I think people have been clamoring for more Florida stuff. As I said before, there's a lot of disappointment over the fact that WWE has done nothing with the stuff that they own. It's just sitting yeah. in a vault somewhere. So this is an exciting thing. To tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we have, I've got about 60 to 70 uh, video, I mean, um, 16 millimeter films um, that I've got the matches, the guys. And so what we're doing is I'm having them digitized, you know, um, you know which is not cheap. Um, I know. Not all of them have my dad's voice on them. You know, but so I have a friend that's going to do the announcing on them, but we're at least we're going to bring them to them. I'll be in there talking about which match you're going to see next, you know, and I'll be adding a little bit of that. I'm not going to do the announcing because um don't want to be judged <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not as good as my dad. Um, so he's going to do it and uh, we're going to do it in a series. Um, like I've got the Jack and Jerry Briscoe series we're going to do. And then I'm going to do one, a uh, uh, documentary on my dad, you know, and so it's going to be, it's not going to be a professional one. It'll be kind of just boom, throw this in here, throw this in and throw this in here. Um, where we'll show pictures of dad and then we'll show, you know, nobody knew my dad used to own a fire truck. You know, it was called the Soli Valley fire truck. (laughs) You know, know, count um, me among the people that didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, so I'm going to put pictures like that in there. And then also I'm, I've got, um, and I hope they're still good, but I've got, um, voice of my, my dad announcing racing. You know, so I think fans would be really interested in listening to that as well. Yeah. So, uh, and then I've got uh, demo tapes of interviews, you know, so I'll do those along in that. You know, even got a picture of my dad and I didn't know he had a mustache before, <laughs> you know, and uh, he, the reason I found out he shaved it off was because was he had to go back to a promo that I'd done and he didn't have a mustache then, so he had to shave the mustache off to do the pro- finish the promo. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we're gonna um, we're hoping to um, give. Well, I'm going this weekend to do some work on it, um, so it's still going to be probably a good six to eight months before everything's finished, because um, of sixty tapes, that's a lot. You know, yeah. And I know the expense, I can tell you, because I've spoken to people, other people in similar situations like yourself, who are the children of whoever, you know, and they have all this stuff in a garage. And, and you know, if they only had a way to get it in an accessible yeah. format that people would die to see it. I remember the Sheik's family telling me that when I was working on that book, for example, and in some cases, people just cannot afford to do it. Uh, it's just not, or they maybe they don't have confidence that it's going to be cost effective or whatever. So, you know, this is very exciting to hear. Yeah. I was working at WWE when they bought the 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 Mike Graham stuff, and yeah. it's like the the way they treat it is sort of like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they just put it in a crate somewhere in a warehouse, and that's the end of that. So there's been a lot of frustration for fans of Florida wrestling. I think that is because um, Vince kind of wants to erase mm. the wrestling, you know, that it's just WWE, you know, 
Um, and, but you know, I gotta, I gotta give Vince credit too, is that my dad never worked for him, but Vince still inducted him in the hall of fame. That's right. That's right. Uh, and that, that means a lot. And I, yeah, I respect him for that. Um, I might not agree with everything else he's done, but, uh, I thought that was a class act. And I think it was very fortunate uh, that happened, I think, right after I left, I want to say. But I know, for example, like your dad had advocates there. Even aside, I don't know how Vince, you know, if it was a Vince decision per se. I know, but I know Jim Ross, I'm sure, was there advocating for it. And I also know that Triple H was advocating for it. Triple H, who was, um, I think, what didn't he take part in the induction, actually? Uh, I remember, I know that he was a fan. I remember yeah. even from being there that Triple H was a fan of your dad's. Triple H grew up watching a lot of that stuff. And and yeah. so he also pushed for that as well. Yeah. And then you had Jerry and Jack Briscoe. Right. Of course. Of course. Which, yes. Yeah. So I, th- I think everybody kind of pushed for it. And um, I think Dusty was there too at the time that that happened. From yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So. Uh, I just want to bring a, you know, a good thing to, you know, it's like, you know, I'm getting up there in age and I don't want it to be sitting wasted. And, and all of a sudden, if something happened to me, you know, somebody said, well, because my one brother was going to throw it all out. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Oh my God. No, thank <laughs> God that you stopped that from happening. Good. Yeah. Well, he came to me and says, you know, if you want to do this, you know, we can work a deal out. And I said, that's fine. You know, and unfortunately my brother's passed away, but the deal is still that because my one brother, Greg, will get portions and I will get a portion and my other brother, Eric's wife, will get a portion. Yeah. And I have it do- divided up that if something happens to me, then my wife will get a portion. And if she dies and just goes to Greg and then, you know, I have it divided where it slowly will trickle down. Whoever's right. the last one alive, we'll get our, all of it. <laughs> yeah. But well. uh, it's just the right way to do it. I think my dad would be honored to see that, you know, he's still out there. And if you look at YouTube, what do you see all the time on YouTube? Like Gordon Soley. Yeah, there's tons. Thank And thank God for that, because there's so many uh, announcers that people talk about and regard as among the greats, and you'll hear stories about them. And there's not a lot of stuff out there to point fans to and say, hey, you want to hear why this guy was so great? Go listen to this. But with your dad, there is. There's so much. Thank goodness for that. Uh, where, Well, I'm a good example of that. I didn't get to grow up listening to your dad. I discovered him later, and yeah. I was able to go, oh, yeah, this guy was the best. Without a doubt, this guy was the best. Yeah. And and so I and I thank you, and I know that as, as the stuff becomes available and out there, I'll help get the word out. I know people are going to want to know about this. And I thank you for coming on here uh, this week to talk about your amazing legendary dad and his legacy. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, maybe some, you can have me on later uh, before the, the Hall of Fame. And maybe I can tell you a little personal story on my dad. That'd be you great. I'd, I'd love to do a follow-up. That would be Those are always the fun stories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. We can talk about that. I'll have a lot of questions there. That, that That'll have to happen for sure. Yeah, because this year I'm I'm trying to do on the our Hall of Fame on the um, round table is not to discuss what the wrestlers did to get there. I wanted them to discuss their stories of their funny road trips. Right. Yeah, right. because 
they're so hilarious. You know, and it gives a you learn a little bit more about the person, their personality. That way. And I think that's great too, because your dad again has that very, very serious image with fans, you know, very, very stoic and and serious. And so to see that side, I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, Brian, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it very much. You're very welcome, Jannard. This has been educational, enlightening, and a lot of fun. Thank you. There you have it, folks, my conversation with Jannard Soli. And I hope you enjoyed that trip down memory lane, paying tribute to and recognizing the achievements and amazing contributions to this industry by the Dean of Pro Wrestling Announcers, Gordon Soli. Jannard, thank you so much for reaching out, and I'm so glad that we were able to make this conversation happen. Hope everybody enjoyed it. And I hope you're going to keep tuning in to Shut Up and Wrestle because next week, it's another journey down memory lane. That's what we do here on Shut Up and Wrestle. Next week's episode will feature Steve Anderson, the co-author with Bobby the Brain Heenan of two of Heenan's books, including his autobiography. He's going to be here talking about Bobby, his relationship with Gorilla Monsoon, and many other things. That's next week on the show. Coming up in the weeks to come on Shut Up and Wrestle, I've been talking about a WWF guest that I have had under wraps, a sort of behind-the-scenes TV production person from the past that I am hoping to have on the show very soon. In addition to that, other guests down the road will include the AWA expert, George Shire, who you may have heard on the 605 Super Podcast a couple of times, among other places. He'll be coming to Shut Up and Wrestle, as well as Abraham Josephine Reisman, the author of the brand new Vince McMahon biography that is a New York Times bestseller. Those are just a few of the guests that are coming in the weeks to come on Shut Up and Wrestle. Keep listening. Subscribe to the show. You can find us in so many places. One of the places is our website, suawpod.com. And I also want to mention that uh, there are many other places you can find the podcast, including Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. But I want to make mention now something that I don't know if all listeners are aware of, maybe you are, but now that the show has been going for well over a year, it's important to note that the podcast hosting sites like Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, they only host a year's worth of episodes of the podcast. So if you want to go back to shows earlier than a year ago, then your best bet is to go to the website, the Shut Up and Wrestle website, suawpod.com. That is the only place that you can access every single episode of the show going all the way back to February of 2022. I just wanted to make that clear. So I hope everybody keeps listening and join the Facebook group while you're at it. Shut up and wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. And listen to The Wrestling News, thewrestlingnews.com. You can listen, you can subscribe. I am a part of it. The Arcadian Vanguard team is proud to bring you this daily morning newscast. And if you haven't checked it out, I think you should. And I think you should subscribe to it. Also, it is available on YouTube 
on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. If you're interested in my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, the 2022 Wrestling Observer Book of the Year, the 2022 Michigan Notable Book, and Publisher's Weekly Starred Review Book, by the way, you can get it in digital form, print form, and audio form on Amazon.com, at Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. I am also the co-host of the PWI podcast, which you can find also wherever you find your podcasts. And if you didn't know, I also write for the magazine PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You can find it at pwi-online.com. You can buy print and digital copies there. And for the other magazine that I write for, which I mentioned at the top of the show, that is Inside the Ropes. You can buy any and all issues, including the brand new issue number 32 at InsideTheRopes.com. If you're looking for me on social media, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. I am on Facebook, my author web page on Facebook, Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you to powder your face with sunshine and put on a great big smile. So long, wrestling fans. Until next week, then, this would be Gordon Soley saying so long from the Sunshine State.